This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and with me today on the show, as always, Matt Harrison. Matt, this is a big week for us. We have our very first guest on the show today, Carla Kometz Morris. She's going to be uh, having an interview with us at the end of the show. She's an accessibility guru. Um, and uh, we'll be playing, we'll be doing that interview after the headlines. So let's just get started with the EdTech headlines of the week if you're ready, Matt. Yeah, I'm ready and raring to go. Matt, I don't know if you noticed, but um, my voice is a little off tonight. I've had a cold and I'm getting the real deep uh, baritone registers. I didn't know if maybe you wanted to, you know, record some voice to men perhaps or something. I th- I mean, how do you feel about that? I think we can, but I, I will be honest with you and, and audience, I really hope that you, you know, understand this. He's only ever used a voice modulation system when speaking with me, so I don't even hear his true audio. Well, that's for my own protection. Yes. Um, but I was thinking, you know, we could, you could sing maybe and I could just do that like, hey, baby, you know, I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt you. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, no, okay. you're you're good. That's shoe. You're a shoe in. All right, let's just let's just get to the news. The first story, according to the Next Web, Google announced that it's taking its expeditions project to schools across the United States, Great Britain, Australia, and Brazil, giving them all the chance to go on a virtual field trip using Google's cardboard VR headsets. Now, this is all part of Google's plan to bring VR to education, virtual reality and take over the world, of course, because it's Google and that's what they're doing. This service is free, believe it or not. It includes Google's cardboard VR headsets and Asus phones. They'll send those out to you. I I believe you have to send them back. And um, I'm going to put up a link in the show uh, notes. That's on edtechweeklyshow.com for you to sign up for the Expeditions Pioneer Program. That's how you can get those. It's pretty cool, Matt. Teachers can choose from a library of 100 and more virtual trips to places like Mars, the Great Barrier Reef, and the Great Wall of China. Matt, Google is continuing to press, impress, are they not? Oh, no, I think it's absolutely awesome. Um, Being able to get free um, hardware and software out to people uh, to use, you know, albeit for maybe a short period of time, but getting kids interested in um, utilizing virtual reality to connect with uh, areas of the world they haven't seen before. I really hope that they do go forward with uh, augmented reality and then start like spray painting Google for life on like the Mona Lisa and Apple sucks on like boulders and stuff. So you want them to virtually tag yes. things? Is that I really that's one thing we're missing in society is tagging. Virtual tagging. Virtual tagging. Well, let's be let's be honest, defaming. Actual property is not correct. You should not do that. That's a good disclaimer. I'm glad you said that. All right, Matt. Our next story, ZDNet reports that a new kind of school is tackling the software engineering talent shortage. We've talked about this a lot in stories um, over the course of our show. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor, by 2020, we're going to have about 1.4 million new developer jobs opening up and only 400,000 people with computer science degrees to get those jobs. My math isn't the best, but 1 million unfilled jobs is not going to get it done for the tech industry. I think I'll encourage my son to get a computer science degree, Matt. Let me uh, read for a minute, if I can, without coughing, from this ZDNet article. A group of industry veterans from Apple, Docker, LinkedIn, and Yahoo decided to start a new hands-on education program called the Holberton School for Training Software Engineers. 
to get the school started with a bang and to foster diversity and equal opportunity, the school's inaugural class will be attended will be tuition free, which is pretty awesome. Anyone can apply from ages 18 to 128. Students, I guess if you're 129, you're out of luck. Students don't need even to have a high school degree or any programming experience. The selection process is based only on talent and motivation, and the school is committed to diversity and equal opportunity, and it is named Betty Holberton. Their school is named after her, I should say, because she was one of the first programmers for Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer, which is, of course, ENIAC. Matt, that's a lot of pretty cool stuff to tackle at the same time. Even just naming it after uh, one of the original female programmers is awesome. Uh, do you think we should be signing up for this, Matt? It sounds pretty cool. Um, I'd love to. Um, becoming a full-stack engineer would be pretty awesome. Um, I can only imagine my brain bleeding out at some point. But, um, yeah, I know. I think it's really, really cool. Um, I think the article itself does a better job of explaining what the marketplace really looks like, um, you know, is a computer science degree worth the trouble? What about IT certification? I think those are two, you know, uh, things that come together but are actually very, very separate. Um, so, so maybe don't maybe a million shortage of jobs not exactly one hundred percent accurate. Yeah, I mean, and you know, if they're going to be a full stack software engineer and need to have all the certifications and in order, you know, to make it through the door with a lot of places or be able to get your hands onto certain pieces of software. Maybe you do need to go through, you know, traditional channels, but you know, working in IT, I can tell you right now, uh, very few actually went to college for that. Yeah, makes so sense. I I still see that there's going to be a huge shortage. Um, I, you know, I if I weren't so informed by other stories we had done in the past, um, speaking specifically about different ways of reaching children earlier augmenting uh, teaching tactics, you know, maybe using um, Minecraft to get children interested uh, in programming. You know, there was a story a little while ago about a 16-year-old kid that built a full, fully functional, um, basically, computer microchip on um, Minecraft, and he was able, like, it actually processed information. Like, it was pretty crazy. That's um, awesome. Augmenting the way that we're able to sort of reach children and get them to learn it, you know building blocks using legos uh, I, there was something we did when i was uh, really really young using legos to map out um you know cells in a body and you know what which blocks represent the mitochondria and stuff like that i think we can always reach different ways so i don't think that there's only one way of getting you know a bunch of computer science graduates um but i think that this especially with the backing of Apple, Docker, LinkedIn, and Yahoo, um, is a phenomenal way to go. And especially with these the methodologies, methodologies in place um, uh, being used at European Institute of Technology, just phenomenal stuff. So, Yeah, and those are powerhouses of the industry, no doubt. Um, you know, it's something, it's another avenue, another venue out there, a way for you to get involved in computer science and possibly a way in if you're really good at it, but didn't really do so well with high school or something like that too. Yeah. So something to, something to look into. Our next story comes at the perfect time. We had it last week. We had a big, a bunch of articles and stories that we talked about, about accessibility and, and very soon we'll be interviewing Carla, who is a, an accessibility champion. So this article is pretty well timed. And it's a story reported by Education Week in Seattle 
has settled a lawsuit with a blind mother of three children. Um, we won't get into all the real deep specifics, but her case was that she didn't have the same access to grades, attendance, and other information that other parents had because of her blindness. Part of the agreement, and it should be something I think all schools and school districts pay attention to, is they need to hire an accessibility coordinator. They need to make their websites more accessible through existing technology and train district personnel on creating content that is more accessible. These are just a few of the agreements, but this is something that is certainly gaining momentum. Um, and everyone should be getting ahead of the curve on this, I think. I think if you're not, you're going to be you know, left behind on this. We're definitely going to ask Carla for her thoughts on this article um, as we start our interview with her. But what are you thinking about this, Matt? Obviously, it's a it's a shame that, you know, a, a teacher had to or a parent had to be left out of their child's education um, insofar that they weren't able to easily access the information that other um, parents were able to. Um, but it's landmark cases like this that really start, you know, to push things like this being paid attention to across the country. I, you're reading the article, all I think of are the people that complain about, you know, how you know, litigious our society is, but really it's things like this that get settled in courts that make real differences and changes in people's lives to ensure that we're not leaving people behind, that everybody's able to have the same access to information. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, Matt. Well, we're getting prepared for the big moment of our show in just a few minutes we're going to have. Carla calling into the show in a hangout. We're going to get that all set up, and then we'll be right back with you guys in just a minute. Although, you won't even know that any time went by. And you may not even hear any of our voices right at this moment. Right now, I'm making faces. It's fun. All right, well, we are so excited to introduce our first guest on EdTech Weekly, first ever. She's a champion for accessibility. She's the lead instructional designer at University of South Florida, St. Petersburg. And she recently took a seat on the board of directors for the Florida Alliance for Assistive Services and Technology. Carla Kometz Morris, welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're really happy to have you here. Um, you know, we are, I don't know if I should mention this because Matt and I have talked about this before. We've been planning to have some sort of a gift for guests, and it will have the EdTech Weekly logo on it, which is a supremely well done logo, if I do say so myself. But the good thing about it is that's in the works. The bad thing is we don't even know what it's going to be on yet. So while it is kind of a big deal that you're going to be the first one to get it, we're still not sure exactly what it's going to be. So if you have any suggestions, we would take some. Okay. Well, I, I don't have any right now, but I'm very excited for whatever it will be. You, you should be. It's going to be pretty awesome. And Matt yeah. Matt is going to have a lot of input too, and he really does gifts big when he does them. So. Yeah, it's probably going to be a, a slightly used 2013 Volkswagen TDI that's been through the water. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Awesome. All right, Carla. Well, before we started our interview with you, we just had an article that we talked about, about how in Seattle there was an agreement because of a blind mother who had three students in their school system who didn't feel she had the same or the appropriate amount of access to grades and that type of stuff. And they made some accords to try to make that situation better. Did you have any thoughts about that article or anything you'd like to share with us? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I um, thanks so much for sharing that with me because I think that's really interesting. Um, before reading about that situation, a lot of those um, lawsuits that we've been seeing from the National Federation for the Blind um, that have to do with inaccessibility of web or technology-related resources has been typically in higher education. So it was really interesting to see one um, that was uh, brought about at the, the K-12 level. Um, and I think that that is really interesting because uh, the National Federation for the Blind, those settlements and those um, uh, class action lawsuits are really the ones that we see in the media um, most often in terms of inaccessibility. And that's just because um, users who use screen reader access because of vision impairments, um, they're the ones that typically will find the accessibility problems first. Um, and those are just the ones that are um, the most notable or the most obvious. Um, and so that's why we see those come about in the media more frequently um, than access, uh, you know, for somebody with hearing impairments, needing captions or things like that. Um, and they're typically the most involved um, accessibility issues. Uh, and so they take a lot more planning to uh, address. Interesting. Yeah. And we, I mean, we've definitely been seeing a lot more about accessibility in the EdTech news, especially recently. So I know it's becoming a bigger issue. And, and it, to me, when I read that article, I think it's kind of cool that that's out there so that other districts maybe can get ahead of the game, even though they might be behind at this point. But to start doing some of those things, that can actually help. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that this is actually the you know the first time we're seeing that in K twelve, and they kept referring it to it as a landmark or a historic case. And I kind of thought K twelve would be ahead of the game on that instead of behind um, higher education, um, just because of the whole inclusive classrooms and things like that, and and the awareness that's already there at K twelve. Um, uh, so it was just interesting to see. Uh, that that's, you know, really the, the first notable case of its kind. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the concerns that are addressed at the K-12 level are more on the individual IEP basis, more in school, in class contact time. Mm -hmm. And it really hasn't gotten into so much the digital aspects of it, but it's definitely happening and that's pretty cool. So yeah. there's no doubt that you're a huge champion for accessibility, um, your role on the board and all those other things. What is what is it that makes you so passionate about being an advocate for accessibility? Um, well, it's really interesting. It was um, kind of a long and interesting road to get into this. But if I can really boil it down, it's um, that I'm a family member of uh, several uh, of my family members have disabilities in a variety. Um, I have some uh, family member with a vision impairment, family member with hearing impairment, uh, quite a few uh, family members with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, and so I've always had a, a passion for trying to understand why they couldn't have equal access and, and what we can do to, to, to get around that. Um, and then I've always just been really interested in technology. And so um, it's just interesting how advocacy and technology has kind of come hand in hand to, to take me down this road. Yeah, that's really That's very cool. Um, I know personally, you know, I started working with you only about four weeks ago. And you've definitely changed how I look at those things um, just with your enthusiasm and passion about it. It's pretty cool. Um, and awesome. one of the cool things, obviously, too, as well for you is that you recently agreed to serve on a board of directors for the Florida Alliance of Assistive Tech Services and Technology. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization and what your role is there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is it's um, really, really exciting. I'm really looking forward to all the work we can do on that board. 
Um, essentially, the board serves two purposes. Um, the first is that they are the state advisory committee for the Assistive Technology Act and how it's implemented in Florida. Um, and the AT Act is really responsible. Sorry, hold on a second. Beanie. <laughs> My dog. Um, uh, hopefully you guys can edit that out. No, no, we'll um, keep that in. That's awesome. We, we, okay. love, we love it when dogs contribute too. It's fine. Yeah, she, she's passionate about accessibility too. <laughs> um, so the Assistive Technology Act um, is responsible. Um, it's federal legislation, but in each state it has to um, include a loan program to provide financial resources for individuals who need to buy assistive technology or um alter you know, motor vehicles to be more accessible to them. Um, and it's supposed to provide loans at a, a lower rate uh, to make it more attainable. Um, they also have to sponsor a device reutilization program so that any devices that are used and a user grows out of, um, and it could still be rehabbed and, and repurposed and given to someone else, uh, that would be an option for them. They also are responsible for providing training, public awareness, um, advocacy at the legislative level. Um, and then lastly, they're responsible for establishing a nonprofit to sort of um, oversee the device reutilization centers, the demonstration centers, and a lot of the training. And that's where the Florida Alliance for Assistive Services and Technology comes in, the FAST. And so that committee also serves as the board of directors for that nonprofit. So we also advise on all the organizational aspects that a nonprofit has um, in play. Oh, that's awesome. That's really interesting. And I'm, I can't wait to see what, what they do, especially with you there. Cause I, I know how passionate you are about it. That's really cool. Yeah. I think um, uh, specifically I'll, I'll be working on the training and public awareness committee. Um, but I'm also sort of uh, serving and assisting on the public policy committee and um, the the New Horizon Loan Program, which is that one that, that provides those uh, uh, more affordable, more attainable loans that I was talking about. So it's really interesting to see what's what's coming in in uh, in terms of people modifying vehicles and homes and, and things like that and to see kind of what's on the cutting edge, which is a really cool way to stay up to date. That's awesome. Uh, Carla, um, if you were to say one thing to teachers, not necessarily to make you boil everything down to just one fact, um, to teachers or anyone designing courses with accessibility in mind, uh, what would it be? Because yeah, um, I, that was a hard one to think about. Uh, you know, what's one thing? Um, but I think it is just that plan with accessibility in mind from the beginning. Um, really consider when you're designing your course from the very early stages. Um, how are all of my students with their differing abilities going to? access this um, and consider universal design principles, which is a, a whole nother um, topic, but you know, a good set of guidelines to make your course accessible um, because it's a lot easier to implement from the very beginning and build things more accessible rather than retrofit. And if we start to build with that in mind, then we may have fewer and fewer cases for um, retrofitting accommodations um, on an individual student basis. We may actually be hitting more than one need uh, with uh, addressing that at the very beginning. Okay. Um, does addressing accessibility concerns benefit only those who have an impairment or disability? Um, no, there's actually a lot of research out there that says that accessibility and universal design benefits all students. Um, there's, you know, the technology piece where, especially if we're looking at online courses, you know, one of the key things is keeping uh, the, the 
the course easy to navigate through, keeping it intuitive, keeping it readable, um, you know, with contrast and colors and sizes of fonts and um, busyness on the page and things like that. And so some of those are just good design principles and they really do benefit everybody, but they have that technical element where, for example, a student with a vision impairment could alter the settings of that browser to um, have that meet their specific needs, but because it's designed for everyone, it becomes more flexible. Um, and then there's also, you know, the instructional piece. Uh, if you plan with universal design in mind, where you're providing multiple means of accessing content, multiple ways to express how you're learning, um, then you're getting those students who just learn in different ways as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a good point with that, too, because I know in just my limited experience uh, since I've been at USF St. Pete with you guys, I've I've talked to a student that said, you know, the having the um, captioning on the videos helped them and they didn't have an impairment, but it just helped them follow along better. So a lot of those things that are universal design, things that help are meant to sort of help those with disabilities definitely help those that do not as well. So that's pretty cool. And then we appreciate your time. We just have one more question before we let you go. And that's if you have any good resources or sites for educators who might be listening, who are interested in learning more about accessibility or how they could make these changes in their classroom, um, we will uh, post it in the show notes and our website, the, the links to these sites as well so that they can find them. Yeah, absolutely. There's some really good ones out there. Um, the first one is called WebAIM. It stands for Web Accessibility in Mind, so WebAIM. Um, that is a great resource for the technology accessibility piece. It covers everything from the most complex um, HTML, JavaScript, CSS, to um, the most basic and, and things that we use every day, like Microsoft Word and PowerPoint. So that's a great resource for any sort of technical development that you're looking at. Um, for the instructional piece and all of the elements that go into designing an online course, um, there's a couple really great sites. Uh, the University of Washington's Do It Center, um, they have a whole website focused on um, how to make whole programs and whole universities um, in terms of their online endeavors more accessible to students with disabilities. So it covers everything from the technical piece to the programming to the student support. Um, so that's a great resource. Um, there is at USF St. Pete, not to toot our own horn, but we um, have reviewed a lot of uh, checklists that are available online and we kind of compiled all, uh, compiled all the best of the best and created an interactive checklist where a faculty member or a designer can go through a course and check off the elements that they have. And then at the end, it provides a list of considerations and tutorials that they may want to review if they're not sure how to make it accessible. And then the last one that I found the most um, helpful was a book um, by Norman Coombs. It's C-O-O-M-B-S. Um, and it's called Making Online Teaching Accessible. And it's just this really thin but chock full of great information about, again, everything from technical accessibility to instructional and, and design. Well, that's awesome, Carla. And we'll put those links up and I'll put a link up to the book as well if people are interested in, in reading that. Um, I can honestly say, and Matt, you maybe you can will disagree with me, but I doubt it, that Carla basically took this show from nonsense to actually something informative that might help people. Am I right on that, Matt? Well, yes. No, it's great having a resource and somebody who can speak from uh, 
you know, personal experience about how to deploy a lot of these different things. It brings a whole new depth to our show, as well as you stop using the voice modulation machine that you've been using in the past. Oh, stop it. <laughs> All right, Carla, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we can have you on again at some other time, maybe you get more in depth on a specific, um, you know, issue with uh, accessibility. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Carla. Well, Matt, that was a pretty awesome interview, and uh, I'm telling you, that just made our show about a thousand times better. Yeah, I will probably start listening to it now. Oh, ouch, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah. Well, All right, well, listen, if you want more information about um, what Carla was talking about and some of those uh, resources, I'm going to post those on the the uh, the show website, edtechweeklyshow.com. Also, the other links from the show, that'll be there if you want to learn more about some of that accessibility stuff. I definitely recommend checking out that book, and I'll, I'll post a link to that on Amazon or something so you can get that pretty easily. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at 4 Teachers. You can bet I'm going to be tweeting about this episode a lot because I want as many people as possible to see this. Uh, feel free to email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Tell us what we did well. Tell you know if you want to get any information to Carla about, about how she, how well she did and some of the things that she said that might help you, please do so. And uh, you can always call and leave a voicemail at 305-92-TECH-2. 305-92, the word tech, T-E-C-H-2, Matt's favorite number. And uh, we're going to pl- play any voicemail we get at this point. Let's be honest, first, second, third. We'll, we'll play them until we can't play them anymore. And don't I'll for- even play our first solicitation. Ooh, like if, well, you, if you have a really good loan program that you want to sign up for because we're a new small business i'll play it hey i like it get some advertising free advertising we're announcing it right now call that number 30592 tech 2 free advertising at least for a little while and also don't forget for the redditors in the group the redditors in the community uh you go to the subreddit edtech weekly um and those of you who are not redditors like matt edtechweekly.reddit.com will get you there post links resources and we'll put links to the show and whatnot there matt as we leave, any words of wisdom for the people? Um, no, up with hope, down with dope, man. Keep your, keep it drug free. That's positive. That's positive. I like it. All right, we'll see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Later, folks.